0: Good morning, it's the first day of the week and it is time to begin our Sunday school class in Deuteronomy and I hope everyone has had a nice weekend and look forward to gathering here now to to study the word together and then to, to worship together. And I pray that you're equipped and encouraged, and we, we pray that God will be glorified in, in each of our gatherings. And so I'll pray, and then we are going to jump into Deuteronomy chapter 6 today. That will be our focus, that chapter. And then next week, we'll just, uh, we're not going to always just do one chapter at a time necessarily, but that's the format for the, this this week. And next week, we'll look at chapter 7 next week. So let's pray, and then if you want to turn to Deuteronomy 6, that'll be a helpful place to be. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this morning, and your grace is on display, your goodness is on display in our lives in, in so many ways, so even the rest they're able to get um, as a provision from you, and then the opportunity to gather you command us to, to and so we just delight in the goodness of your command, so it is, it is right and good that we be here today, and that we sit under teaching of the Word of God that we worship not just as individuals but we worship as a corporate body as a as a congregation as a local assembly uh, um, united under the truth and, and so I just pray that you'd be glorified through our worship today pray that we would enjoy the fellowship that can even take place in between um, Uh, two services, and so we just do desire that that you would be glorified in all of life and certainly in in our gatherings as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So, Deuteronomy 6 falls into this second sermon of Moses to the people of Israel before entering into the land. And so we 'll walk through as we go through the whole book, but this this second sermon would be the longest of of sermons, and so here we are in um, in this longest of sermons and and it matches up with this routine command that is going to be given to Israel from Moses, which from God, and and the command to Israel, what they are called to do is to fear and love Yahweh, and so as you interact with the right response to the commandments, to to obey um, the commands. That is synonymous with loving God. So to love God is to obey God. To obey God is. To love God. And so there's this call to love God. Love Yahweh. And we certainly will see this call to fear and this call to love throughout chapter 6. There's, there's quite a bit of repetition throughout Deuteronomy. And Israel's in need of reminders. We are no different. We benefit from reminders. And so you'll, you'll see a lot of familiar instruction here as we walk through this chapter. One, one thing that's kind of interesting would be the relationship that the New Testament would even have with this particular chapter, Deuteronomy 6. And so even just thinking Deuteronomy and the New Testament, what, what book of the Old Testament is quoted the most in the New Testament? Deuteronomy. So I, I, that's just so mean of me to throw this like trick question out because I knew it just sounded like that's what I was going to be. Look, it's not Deuteronomy. But, uh, so I just heard it though. Was the De- Psalms. That's right. Okay. Okay, so that was, that was not fair of me to do that. But Deuteronomy is the, the second most quoted book in the New Testament. And so you're going to see the Psalms and then Deuteronomy in, in the New Testament. And so we, we would do well to think carefully about this book because it is um, spoken of in even the words of Christ. I won't even begin there. Chapter 6 in particular, there are going to be three um, really more than three, three passages that are spoken of on more than three occasions by, by Christ when you think of the greatest commandment and then also at the temptation of Christ. So, so Deuteronomy 6 was very much content that was on the mind and heart of, of Christ. And so he, he speaks to Deuteronomy 6. He quotes Deuteronomy 6. Go ahead and just turn to Matthew chapter 22. So even notice on the outline that we have, I'm going to refer to verses 4 through 9 of Deuteronomy 6, just under this he- heading of the greatest commandment. And so when we turn over to the New Testament and, and read of Christ speaking of this greatest commandment, um, I'll go ahead and, and, and read 30, start, beginning in 37. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So in just a few moments, when we get to this these verses in Deuteronomy six, I want us to even interact on in what sense is this? command the greatest commandment and so I think we want to provide an answer there for that question as, as, as Christ says verse 38 this is the great and first commandment and, and he is quoting um, Deuteronomy 6 4 and 5 uh, this is not the only time in the life and ministry of Christ that he quotes from Deuteronomy 6 let's go back in Matthew go back to chapter 4 I'm going to be careful with my time, but I do think it would, we'd do well to read all verses 1-10 through 10 of chapter 4. Then, Matthew 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, uh, let me just pause here to say this is um, quoting Deuteronomy six right here. Again, it is written, "You shall not put the Lord your God to the test." Verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, "All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me." And then Jesus said to him, "Be gone, Satan! For it is written." You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, um, speaking of Deuteronomy 6 and Christ's response. So then in verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So, in some way, I hope that just kind of informs the the weightiness of Scripture. We always are recognized all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. But then absolutely, as we we see these words um, in the life and ministry of Christ, as he speaks to Deuteronomy 6, we're recognizing the weightiness of this chapter, even found within this chapter. um, We're going to come across... Fundamental truth, um, fundamental duty uh, for God's people as we read through um, verses 4 and 5. This is really the heart of Deuteronomy, right here in Deuteronomy 6 4. It's uh, so a very very significant place, so what we 'll do uh, let 's just use the the way that the verse the verses are broken down on, on your handout We can just look at each of these sections and, and seek to observe um, as we walk through so really, the preliminary words of, of verses one through three certainly um, connect what we just learned in Deuteronomy five whether it goes best in the in Deuteronomy 5 or whether it goes best as part of Deuteronomy 6. I mean, it just connects Deuteronomy 5 and Deuteronomy 6. And so we'd do well to just think through it briefly here. But, but our focus really will be on verses 4 and following. But let me just go ahead and read through 1 through 3. And then let's, let's take note of, of a few points. Verse 1, Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, so prior to entering into the land, this is not the first time that we're, we're getting instruction about the land. This is all Nothing is new here in regards to the land in verses one through three. But what do we, what are some of the reminders? What do we learn about the land from, from just these verses? promised to be flowing with milk and honey. Okay, so yeah, you, you see this, this hyperbolic reality of the fullness of blessing, uh, of how God's good provision is going to be. Um, demonstrated to them in this good land that flows with milk and honey um, it, so they're, they're I guess even just saying it's, it's certainly there's, there's some hyperbole here but there also is just the reality it is gonna they're, they're gonna the, the fruit of their labor they're, they're gonna have milk um, the fruit of the land the, the fruit of the, God's provision they're gonna have honey they're, they're gonna have all that they need in a good supply but yeah okay so you learn about the goodness of the land what else? They're going to possess it. They're going to possess it. That's right. So again, don't lose sight of that. Each time we see this, this is really instruction for Israel. It ought to be instruction for us when you're seeing um, in the land to which you are going over. So you just have to be mindful of that, that, that God's promises will come about. And um, God is faithful and God is sovereign so they can trust God's faithful promises. They will go into the land and it will be good. And there's more than just uh, what verses one and three speak about the land. Even just kind of walk down in the chapter. um, It's certainly very clear. Look at verse 10, who is responsible for the success of going in and and getting, taking, um, acquiring this promised land. Verse 10 speaks of the Lord who will bring you into the land so so you're reminded that that the Lord will bring them into the land that He has promised, and it will be flowing with milk and honey verse 18 speaks of the the quality again of of the land you know uh, you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers so they are going to possess it it is going to abound with with fruitfulness it is flowing with milk and honey it is good land is what we're told there in, in verse 10 Verse 18, it's good land that is sworn to the people of God by God. God's going to bring them in. <laughs> Verse 19 uh, speaks to the means by um, which they're going to acquire the land. Look at, look at what, is, what is promised here. Um, after he speaks of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. So that'll even be important for us next week as we start thinking of instruction in regards to the war that will take place of acquiring the land. Uh, There's going to be a really neat section here in chapter six of seeing the non-violent conquest in terms of the good land. So they're going to wipe out their enemies, but, but they don't just destroy the land. Uh, So so we'll see that in, in the text today in Deuteronomy 6, that this good land remains good land, even in the midst of victorious conquest where they wipe out their enemies. Because as you saw in verse 10, the Lord who will bring you into the land, it's God's work. Okay think, unless there's any comments, I think we can go ahead and and move into then verses 4 and following. Let's look at this greatest commandment, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Follow along as I read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Okay, so in a very familiar section with very important instruction, um, what do we learn about God? What do we know to be true about God? What, what is communicated very clearly here in regards to the, the character and work of God? The Lord is one. Okay. One. The Lord is one. So we're seeing... Much in that statement. In, in fact, really, in, in, the, in God's wisdom, in the even understanding here of what is being communicated, you're, you're seeing more than just one truth by, by saying that the Lord is one, because you are struck with this monotheistic reality, which, which for us seems so commonplace, um, I imagine. But, but if you think of all of what would surround Israel in, in this polytheistic, um, Setting that they're so used to these multiple gods that are being worshipped, and to worship one instead of the other is not a threat to one or the other, uh, because you praises or worship was given to this god, that god, the other god. There might be one who was more important than others, but but all were given. Worship and all—all all of it is done in vain. These are false gods; they, they are not true gods. And so, the one true God, the Lord, is one. So there is only one God. But then also, in not only is he this. There's not. It's not only just this exclusive reality that there is only one God. You're also seeing the unity of God. You know, He's not at conflict with Himself. You're not. You're not going to. You're not going to get inconsistency with God, that the unity of God is certainly communicated here too. In, in this, the Lord is one. And then even more than that, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You're learning of the uniqueness uh, of God. He is, he is Yahweh, um, Israel's God. He is unlike any other? There is no one like our God. That's been emphasized in songs we've been singing in the last few weeks, and in the instruction we've been hearing uh, in Sunday school and in the main service. That the Lord alone is God, and so so you're seeing that from this familiar statement: "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." And what would it even communicate to say, "Hear, O Israel"? What is what is, what is Israel being told to do with with this instruction to hear? What does hear communicate? Or what does hear look like? Obedient. Obedience. Right. So to hear is to obey. And so if you audibly hear the Lord our God is one and you don't worship God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, then you're not hearing um, the command that is given here in verse four, so to hear is to obey, and what um, is communicated here it is fundamental duty, obedience to God. it is fundamental truth. God alone is God, the Lord our God is God. He is the one true God. And so six four absolutely is just so fundamental to affirm that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, to affirm that truth, and then to affirm that duty. Because if you think about it, if this, if A is true, that the Lord alone is God, he is the exclusive God. There's exclusivity here. God alone is God. So how should that inform our worship? What should our worship uh, be directed towards? God alone. And so you're seeing exclusive God. So our worship, this exclusive worship, we worship God only. And so that's what verse five is telling us. God alone is the Lord. And so you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So, more to say about this, but let's even just go back to how we began when we saw Christ's words. When we said, this is the great and first commandment. Just thoughts here. In what sense is this the greatest commandment? I think it pretty much encompasses all the rest of us. All right, very good. So, the, the rest of the commandments are more specific, but if you do the first one, then you're already doing everything else. <clears throat> well said, yeah. So, you get this Right. You get everything right. And so, so there's your, your greatest commandment. But then even, even in that truth, it's not even something that you said this as well, that it's a summary. And Jesus even would describe this as you know, the summary of the law. But yeah, you get, you get this right. Uh, if you relate rightly to God, you get it all right. Because you're going you're gonna to relate rightly to God's creation. And so this is very much this, this greatest Commandment. Get it right, and you get it all right. Um, also, if you think of the first commandment, this is really commentary here on on worship God only. So, this greatest command, this greatest commandment, is a commentary on the first command, but it's a summary of all the commands, and really, it just communicates this 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 reality that if you get it right, you get everything else right. And so, indeed, it is this this greatest commandment. I appreciated how. Uh, This was described by one commentator. This is Eugene Merrill. And speaking of, you know, if we think of the commandments, these 10 words. Well, here in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 in the Hebrew, you don't have very many words either. There's 16 words. And so here's what Eugene Merrill says about these 16 words. He says, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. It is the expression of the essence of all of God's person and purposes in sixteen words, so really, just foundational truth' they, they're sixteen words, and they communicate much, they communicate the essence of all of god 's person and purposes um, and, and I refer to this as certainly not, not anything that you 're not familiar with already, but what we refer to this as the Shema. Um, so when you're thinking of this first word, here, you know, hear, O Israel. The beginning of verse 4, that Shema. So that, that's why we refer, that's why the Israelites would refer to this as the Shema. It's just that first word of the command. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, so let, let's keep going in this section then. Uh, Can I ask a question? Yes. When, when we were walking in, did you... Um, read from the New Testament or Jesus? Yes, I did. And I, I didn't get that reference, but um, mm. in that one, did he add mind? So it's, it, okay, so in Deuteronomy, you have with all your heart, soul, and might. Right, yeah. And so then, yeah, so when Jesus says with your heart, soul, and mind, then there's other places in the New Testament where you have heart, soul, mind and strength. But really it's just a it's a summary of all of life. But I guess my question is like in the, it, is it in the New Testament where that concept of your mind is added to it or are there other places in the Old Testament where I, I'm not prepared to answer that. Uh, I don't want to say more than I could say. Only to say, this is all of life, and so so there's no distinction. I would say even between what's being communicated in the Old Testament and New Testament, or just it's a summary of all of life. Because some people, I would do think, have tried to do too much with this, where they go into like a definition of what is man, like anthropology of these the, these three divisions of man of of heart, soul, and I don't think that's Heart, soul, and strength. Oh, like he took, it seemed like he took murder, and he kind of elevated it. Like he added another aspect of, like you know, if you just think it, then you're still guilty. Yeah. You know. Right. So you're saying is that an example of just mind being included? I, I do think all of life is included in Deuteronomy six four, just as much as all of life is communicated in, in Christ's words. But uh, the reference was Matthew twenty two thirty eight. And um, that was just kind of in a showing Deuteronomy six throughout the life of Christ. Um, so that's that's what the command is to to uh, to love the Lord with all of life, all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Um, and then then the the command continues. Um, These words that, verse 6, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And so the responsibility is to do them, the responsibility is obedience. And here in Deuteronomy 6 4 and following, you're seeing not only do they're individually to obey this greatest commandment. Uh, to obey um, this command to love the Lord with all your heart there's also this added responsibility that they would have do this and pass it on and so you're seeing that throughout the rest of this section do this, teach this Uh, what you're seeing there obey it Pass it on. So let's even just look at it again. Look at this, and this is particularly helpful for, for us as parents to be informed by our role as these primary disciples in the life of children, that we are to point our children to God and the things of God, to, to teach them. The word to teach them God's commands. And and as we'll see as we get to the end of this chapter, to remind ourselves of of the motivation behind uh, the obedience to these commands. But here's the instruction. Verse 7. Teach them diligently to your children. Um, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Just pause here for a second. In verse 7, you have these contrasting actions. So, you're you're to do this when you're sitting. You're to do this when you're standing. And by this, I mean, um, teach your children. Train your children. um, Teach them about God. Teach them um, God's commands. And this is to take place everywhere to characterize all of life. And so, so when you're reading, do it when you're sitting, do it when you're walking, do it when you're lying down, do it when you're rising up. And so in reading about this, I, I learned a new word um, that, and you see it there in, in italics there, that marism, that is like a, um, a, a term that um, refers to like totality where you're going to give two different polarizing actions really or or uh, statements and it communicates um, it's true here it's true here and it's true everywhere in between and so when he's saying do it when you sit do it when you walk that's communicating not just the literal okay if i'm sitting when if i'm walking well what about if i'm standing still. No, it's re- including standing still because it's betwe- everything in between sitting down and standing up. It's everything. It's total. And so we do this and only example I have off the top of my head head I'm sure y'all could maybe come up with some other examples but even when you're thinking of you describe something from like from a to z you know even with the alphabet you know we're not just saying well how many you know what what are we talking about here saying you know it's from a to z like everything in between it includes a it includes z and it includes all the other letters of the alphabet in between and that's what God is teaching through Moses to Israel of what should characterize their home life all of life, whether sitting or standing, whether lying down or rising up, is to be characterized by teaching diligently their children the things of God. So then in verses 8 and 9, uh, we read um, again of this characterization, the the familiarity that ought to be on display in our homes. If it's all, this instruction is to take place at all times, sitting and standing. It's also, you know, it's to be on our minds at all times. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so if you're thinking of what this pictures, you're seeing everywhere. At all times, as we just saw in the previous verse, and then everywhere, God's word should be on our minds and out our mouths, in our homes, in our towns, um, in our hearts. That's where God's word should be at all times. Um, of course, you, you know from from your study of the New Testament, and there's even seen it even still today. But um how is this kind of literally practiced uh, among, uh, or how is it literally practiced among amongst Israelites? This instruction in verses uh, eight and nine: bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You know, you know, the phylacteries. They actually, you know, these these actual like physical accessories that would have um, portions of Deuteronomy, portions of the law, portions of the scriptures. You know. Bound to them you know in between their eyes, on their forehead, uh, on these leather um, little pouches uh, on their on their wrists on their foreheads, they would literally uh, do this in fact um, you, you see even Jesus referring to phylacteries in the midst of their just their uh, pharisaical um, hypocritical faith uh, in matthew twenty three you know as, as jesus is is um Speaking of these woes to the scribes and the Pharisees, in verse five, he notes the phylacteries they wear. He says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And you're just seeing these scribes and Pharisees, these hypocrites that did not love God. Deuteronomy six is speaking to what does love for God look like? Um, God's good commands are to be on our heart, in our soul, in our mind uh, with all our might. It's all of life. And, and so what they did is I just want a checklist, you know, to like verify that I am fulfilling Deuteronomy 6 4 and 5. And so you make these accessories you put them on and you check the box and your heart is not in it that's the danger and and certainly what um, these scribes and pharisees were guilty of they did not love God even if they had these phylacteries on I'm literally fulfilling verses four and five would be the mindset when you literally are disobeying God is the reality uh, from this and so so they would have these phylacteries and they also would put have the, the mezuzah, like they they would do what what um, what um verse nine would say, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so on the doorpost of a house, they would have this mezuzah of this little box that would have a sc- content of the scriptures like scroll in the mezuzah. So literal fulfillment that actually failed to obey what God commands. Make them bigger and bigger. To make them more noticeable. Oh, yeah. It's, it, isn't, isn't that interesting? So, why would you do it bigger? Because it's going to block you, right? So that other people notice. So, you know, this is, this is man centered. Um, you're, you're seeking the praise of man. You want to be noticed. You make them bigger, not for God's glory, for your own um, self seeking interests. Just one, just one comment on her word, the question that was asked about might and mind. I, I think of Jesus saying, or Peter saying, gird up the loins of your mind. And there's a sense in which strength and, I mean, strengthen yourself for battle. That's the idea of it. Uh, so there's a sense in which might and mind, I think, to just kind of enhance a little bit what she was asking. But um, mind and mind do, because Jesus used the word mind, just used its might here, that's what, what I'm referring to. I see. But there just seemed, there seems to be a correlation there between might and mind. Yeah. We just something oh, to call your comments. mind. Mm-hmm. All right. Other comments, thoughts? Yes. Yeah, I, 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 echoing that, the strength that's being referenced here isn't so much about, it's not about physical strength, it's about... Having to, it's about studying the Word of God. It's about seeing the the purpose of it. It's about looking at everything that does this, is it pleasing to God? That takes a lot of strength of mind. And I I think that the words are synonymous. Mm. Yeah. It's good. Jim. There's an injunction that Paul has where he says, "We, we. Strive to bring every thought captive to obedience to Christ, so that that uh, commandment or that injunction is still for us. Bring every thought captive to obedience to God. Again. All right. I'm uh, going to even use that as somewhat of a segue here. Like bring bringing every thought captive, and, and it's interesting how it moves into this this next section. Um, they are you're going to see. They need to be careful to do. They need to be careful not to forget uh, and so the, the warning here that is given in this next section they've been given this greatest commandment and then they're, they're warned be careful verses 10 through 15 when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant um, This is where I'll, just pause real quick this is what I was referring to a few minutes ago this conquest, they're going to they're take the land. They're going to wipe out their enemy. And it's not like they're going to go in and destroy the city and rebuild the city every time. There, there are places where this happens in the Old Testament where there are too. Because of the wickedness, uh, They dis- they destroy everything. But that's not always the case. And in the and God in his wisdom, they go in, they're going to, they're going to wipe out their enemy, but but they're not going to destroy the vineyard and then replant the vineyard. Like they're going to have the vineyard. They're going to, they're going to have these wells. They don't fill them up and then bury and then dig them again. You know, they have these, these wells. They have God's provision. They're going to go in and have this good land, um, houses full of good things, cisterns that they didn't dig, vineyards that they didn't plant. And when you eat and are full, then here's the warning, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is really interesting to me because there's going to be this this communicates here a pattern in, in the nation in the life of Israel. There's a pattern on display in this section and then there's going to be a pattern on display in the next section, section. The pattern here is what Israel's tendency was to do when things were going well. And what what would that be? What what did Israel often do? Forget God. Yeah, they just forget God. Look what I've done. You know, look what I've got. Look what You know, dependence, independence. And so there's this forgetfulness. And it's not this cognitive lack of, oh, what's his name again? This is a spiritual issue where where you're forgetting God. And so when things went well, Israel often forgot God. And so this is what they're to be careful not to do. Not to forget. And so the instruction is, take care lest you forget God. Because it's the Lord, verse 13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. So again, you you think, well, is it God is jealous for his own glory. He's the only right object of our worship. Worship is due, praise is due to God alone. And so it would have, God's been faithful to Israel and Israel is to be faithful to God. And so he's jealous for his own glory. They're wrong to worship anything other than God. And so in their unfaithfulness, when they worship anything other than God, the anger of the Lord um, is kindled against them due to the jealousy of God because God alone is worthy of worship. And and so here's verse 15, this promise, just God is faithful to his promises. And so here, this promise here, the anger of the Lord, your God will be kindled against you and and destroy you off the face of the earth if they fail to obey God. Uh, So do not forget um, they have this, this turnkey conquest. They're going to go in. They're going to get the land. And it's going to be ready. Ready for um, fruitfulness. So don't forget God. He's the one who brought you in. He did this. Okay, then the next section, uh, they're called not only to be careful not to forget, they are warned not to test the Lord. Verse 16 and following, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. Uh, We do well to go ahead and and turn back to Exodus 17. Wasn't all that long ago I guess that we were, because interacting with this, this text, but Exodus 17 speaks of this, this testing that God's people did in, in testing God. And really what they're saying is, um, I mean, who is God? Why should I be mindful of him? I want what I want. I'm gonna, and, and look at so what they did. They wanted water. They didn't have water. And so... Um, in verse 7, we're told that God names the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? They did not honor the Lord as their master. They, they do not regard God as... Um, the object of their praise, their ob- they regard themselves as this self-worship. They grumble against God because God doesn't do it their way. They're not submitting to God. They're asking, they're testing God to submit to them. And, and so they grumble when they don't get it their way. And in fact, and submit that that seems to be Israel's pattern when things are not going well. So if the pattern when things were going well was to forget God in the midst of things not going well, their pattern was to grumble against God and his um, goodness that was on display. They failed to see the goodness and they grumbled against it not looking like what they wanted it to look like. So, so do not do what your forefathers did. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then as you, as you move through the section, they, they are here's what they are to do. Keep the commands. Obey God. And the promise here is that it will go well with you. We'll see it more in this last section when we read 20 and following. But the law that they're commanded to obey is good. And it is good for them. And by obeying God, uh, they're going to experience God's blessing. Because these commandments are not burdensome. They are, they are good, they are righteous, and they would do well to obey every word with all their heart. All their soul, all their might, all of life. Um, let's look at one other reality here. Both forgetting and grumbling, I think, reveal to us something about Israel. That they, have, they fail to love God rightly. So let's even look at this. Just, I, just last week, you're in Deuteronomy 5. So just turn back a page to, to Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5.29. 5.29 says, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. And so, okay, God just saying, Oh, that they would love me rightly. Oh, that they had a heart to obey my commands. Uh, that's Deuteronomy 5.29. Um, turn, turn over. I, I might be able to, I'm calling a few of these hands that are up here in a minute, but Deuteronomy 5 speaks of that, that heart that they lack. Look at Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, two through four, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, <clears throat> you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and these great wonders. <clears throat> but to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. So Israel did not have a heart to keep the commands. Now look at the next chapter, Deuteronomy 30, 30 verse six, chapter 30 verse six, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So do this and live It's starting to make sense now the basis for them being able to do this is because god has given them a new heart and so this this lack of obedience demonstrates a lack of love and the lack of love is informed by they don't have a heart after god and so i hope you're you're seeing able to pull a out from this and recognize we're not talking about works-based righteousness here the the obedience to God's commands would demonstrate something it demonstrates their love for God and God loved them first um, and they are to they are to love God and so they need God to give them a new heart so I think that works well to move into this last, last section then these commandments are good verse 20 when your son asks you in time to come Let me just pause here to say, I think you're seeing very healthy home life in that first statement. But for us as fathers, that we would have a relationship with our children, with our sons, that when they have a question, they would come to their father and ask, why do we keep these rules? It's not some skeptical question by the son. I think that the son is going to his father as his primary discipler asking a very good question. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? That's the question. Perhaps the answer will be surprising to all of us uh, because the answer isn't for the Bible tells me so. Uh, That's a true statement. You know, why do we keep these commands? because God commanded us. That, that is true, but it doesn't communicate enough and it actually produces um, Pharisees often to think we do this because we have to. The reality here is we do this because God commanded it and God is our Lord and God is our deliverer. God delivered us from Egypt and, and so he is our master, his commandments are good and so we keep them. So as you walk through, look at what the answer is to why do we keep these rules. Verse 21 says, here's why. Um, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. I hope that's even just a significant little Um, parenthetical there that you see for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us pretty interesting how this chapter ends to see of this genuine saving faith is demonstrated through covenantal faithfulness because you're seeing here at the end um, this covenant that God has struck with Israel and they are to keep the covenant verse 25 says and it will be righteousness for us Um, genuine faith is displayed through this covenantal faithfulness covenant keeping is an act of faith um Covenant keeping is not just some, you know, works-based ritual. It is um, this faithfulness to the covenant displays faithfulness to God um, that is motivated by love for God that comes from a heart for God that God plants in us. So if we love God, we're going to obey God. And so the the command throughout to obey and fear God is, is synonymous with love God. So it's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So saw a few hands up. But let me go ahead and close in prayer. If please come up after um, if, you, if you desire to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for this morning. Just what a privilege it is to gather as a people of God, to worship you, to sit under um, the word, to think carefully about the scriptures and to respond rightly to um, what is uh, taught. God, I pray that you'd be glorified today through our worship. I pray our worship would be informed by love for you. May um, hearts who are um, reconciled to you um, respond in thoughtful praise today for who you are and what you've done and what you're going to do. So may love characterize our worship and be glorified through all that is said and done in this next hour. Uh, We do love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.